are back for yet another edition of Behind the Lens. It is Monday, April the 20th. Greg has left me to my own devices today. He is off being a good son. Um, but I'm going to see how much trouble I can get into and how much I can entertain you, um, especially when our second guest today, who's calling in at 1130, Jake Simpson, joins us. I am so thrilled to have Jake uh, joining in the fun today. We're even going to have some musical interludes. And we're going to talk a lot about Stage LA, uh, the benefit I've been talking about for a few weeks now that's at Saban Theater, or Saban Theater, as Sally Kellerman likes to say, uh, on May the 9th. Uh, all kinds of information is on my website about it, moviesharkdeblore.com. It is on the official stage website, www.stagela.com. Uh, some amazing tickets j- I just got released on Friday. So there are, there are second row seats available for this event, guys. And if you really want to see some fine, you know, top-notch entertainment that you're not going to see uh, anywhere else all at one time, I can't urge you enough uh, to check out stagela.com and maybe pick yourself up a ticket for this event. I know Lydia's coming to the event with me on May 9th, um, and I think her husband is joining us too. So, but we'll talk more about stage when Jake calls in at 11.10. Got a brand new director for you, Kyle Ham. Kyle uh, has co-written and directed and produced Reparation. It makes its world premiere at the Newport Beach Film Festival on the 25th of April, which is this weekend. An amazing film. It stars Castle's John Huertas. You know him best as Javi on Castle. Uh, One half of one of the best bromances on TV with Seamus Deaver, who plays Ryan. Uh, John is going to be with us next week. But we get Kyle today, and it's an interesting journey on how this film came to be. It is a fascinating film. It's a psychological thriller that has some really interesting bents to it. So uh, I think you're going to really enjoy uh, listening to Kyle, and that'll be at 11.10. But in the meantime, it was a big week. Uh, Lydia and I went hopping over to the NAB convention, checking out all the new technology that is coming your way. Be on the lookout, filmmakers. 6K is here. Of course, the delivery systems are still only 4K, but uh, I saw the look on Lydia's face as she played with all kinds of new Canon cameras and others, and I have never seen... It's more joy than I've seen on a kid on Christmas morning. So there are great toys afoot for all you directors out there, you cinematographers, you camera operators, and as the weeks go by, I'll be talking more about that, uh, hopefully a little bit with Greg next week, because I know he likes that kind of tech talk as well. But in the meantime, new film opened this weekend, Unfriended, produced by my pal Jason Blum at Blumhouse, and also produced by the incredible, the Russian director and visionary, Timur Bekmambatov. I had a chance to do an exclusive interview with Timur, not just about Unfriended, but also about his other projects. He's currently in Italy. Um, Yes, it was a 2 a.m. phone interview to Italy with Timur, where he is shooting the remake of Ben-Hur, which, based on everything he told me, is sounding pretty spectacular. Of course, jury's going to be out. Got to compete with Charlton Heston. I don't know how the TCM fans are going to feel about that. Don't know how I'm going to feel about it when I see it. But when it's done, you're going to hear about it first here. But in the meantime, Unfriended, an interesting and unique concept in filmmaking where everything unfolds in real time on a computer screen through six people Skyping and has supernatural element of, you know, Somebody who has been wronged by these other people comes back from the dead, inhabiting the technology, the internet wires, the satellite, uh, the ether, and can manipulate much as you do if you're on Skype and you see what people are doing or as your as your computer tech does when he doesn't want to come to your house and do a, a house call and just logs into your IP and all of a sudden your mouse is moving all over. This is what unfolds with Unfriended. So I had a chance to talk to Timur about where he got the idea for this because it's been germinating with him for quite a while. And being the visionary he is, for those of you who don't know his work, go see the Russian language films, Day Watch, Night Watch. For those of you familiar, you may have seen Wanted, 
which just catapulted Angelina Jolie into the action genre. But right now, let's hear what Timor told me about the, con- the conceptualization and how Unfriended came to be. Yeah, a long time ago, when, uh, a long time ago, uh, it's, uh, the, the director of the movie, Leo, Gabriel, he, in 1959, he brought me, he, I live in Moscow, and he came from LA, he was, he was a student in UCLA, UCLA. Mm-hmm. he came, he came back to Moscow and brought, and bought me first Apple computer. <laughs> And, and it's my life changed since then. And 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 uh, you know, and it's why I decided to uh, uh, to call him when I, when when we made this project, began the project. Uh, no, how it happened a long time ago. I uh, remember when Sky first time invented uh, 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 the screen share mode. Yes. The, all of his friends Timor also working with the visual styling that he's known for that he introduced us to with Daywatch, Nightwatch even some of the fun stuff that we saw in Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter which I know many of you not fans of but there are a lot of really great elements to it uh, not the least of which was Anthony Mackie who we all know will be in the upcoming Avengers Age of Ultron on May 1st but I then had a chance to talk to Timur about what he has defined as rules for the film that were then put into place with his director uh, and the entire crew. Yeah, one thing that you do so well, Timur, is you always you are on the cutting edge and you and you bring us new visual stylings. You did that with Daywatch. You did that with Nightwatch with some of the effects, and it just. It just has you on the edge of your seat. The way Unfriended is structured, it's it's very similar in that nobody has done anything like this before. And it really, you know... We were lucky. We were lucky. <laughs> because nobody, yes, nobody's done it before. And we were, we had a very, we were very, uh, um, how to say this, Encourage and encourage and and, uh, and because you're doing it first. Mm-hmm. Knows how to, nobody knows how to put, how to uh, act, how to uh, cut, how to use sound. 
how to how to do how to deal with the rhythm of the movie because because uh, it's because real time. What's unique about Almo? Because there, there was an experiment. People were people were trying. Filmmakers were trying to tell stories by using computer screen, but there was very few very very specific decisions we made from the beginning. I I knew that we should first of all it should be real time. It should be really eighty uh, three uh, whatever minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without editing. Without trying to manipulate, because then you feel it's a real, it's a real uh, piece. It's not, it's not directed. Uh, second, it should be. Uh, I, I made the decision that it should be uh, uh, the sound should be the sound you can hear when you are dealing with a computer. It's not. There is no scores. There is no. There is no score music. There is no. There is no special special. Sound effects. It was an idea. It should be based on the your the real experience. Mm-hmm. And and you the, the third is you cannot zoom in. You cannot zoom out. You should show the screen as it is. Mm-hmm. Audience and let, let audience to, to 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 understand what's happening by using by using their their own experience to, to observe the screen. You cannot force. a new experience Timor and his team and his director Leo uh, Gravides uh, they definitely have created a new language for cinema and hopefully we'll have time later in the show to hear one more thing about the experience of watching Unfriended and the emotional impact that uh, the filmmakers were going for but right now I have with me right now I have the wonderful Kyle Ham. Hello. Hello, Kyle. How are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you, and thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, an absolute pleasure, Kyle. Especially after I saw Reparation. Oh wow, great! This is it's an amazing film. I am so thrilled you're having your world premiere on the 25th down at Newport Beach Film Festival. Yeah, so are we. So how now? First time feature director. I mean. You have done work in the business before. Uh, mm-hmm. You've been an associate producer. You've been assist- You've been on set on ver- with various companies. You've seen mm-hmm. big budget TV stuff. You've seen feature stuff. But how is this experience? You're producing Reparation. You're directing Reparation. You're a co-writer on Reparation, and you have your very own world premiere in less than a week. Have you wrapped your head um, around it yet? Uh, I, no, I, um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, and I'm still um, learning something new every single day, and I'm not exaggerating. Every day I'm surprised by something um, in the long, along the way. Um, it's been very, it can be very much a roller coaster, <laughs> for sure. But, yeah, it's a little bit... Um, it's crazy when I step back just a little bit to think of how much of my life this has swallowed up. We started this when we started writing this 20 years ago. I mean, when I first started in the business, 
I approached um, Steve Tim, the playwright who wrote the play that this is based on, mm-hmm. who is a prefor- former professor of mine. Um, I wanted to adapt the play into a film, and he said, why don't we work on it together? But that was, that was in, like, January of 1995. And not that we've been working on it day in and day out every day since then, but it's certainly been um, our baby for a very long time. So I think just getting to see it actually finally happen and getting to see it happen on my own terms, even though those terms meant doing it very, very low budget <laughs> and meant cutting a lot of corners and meant that it took an army, a community of people who were just passionate about it, who maybe weren't, weren't working on it for the money but just believed in it, saw what it was and believed in it. That's been, I think, the most amazing thing about it. Well, I think an even more amazing thing is not only do low-budget, no-budget films really force you to push your own creative envelope as to how much you can do and how much storytelling you can do emotionally, visually, you know, with limited resources, but the fact that you and Steve still talk to each other after 20 years, that that's a testament right there. <laughs> yeah, no, we get, I mean, we get along great. He was, he was one of the groomsmen at my wedding a few years ago, and... Um, we have other other collaborations together too. We have two other scripts that we've um, well, one other script that he wrote, which is beautiful. Another one that we collaborated on, and we continue to plan on working together as long as we can. Um, you know, do we disagree sometimes? Sure, and that usually brings about something better um, when we do. So, uh, but it was it was really something to be on set in these key moments in places where I don't even, I'm not even sure the actors or the, or the crew understood exactly what we might be going for in a particular moment. And when it would happen, I would turn my head and he'd be back from the monitor a little bit. And we just make eye contact and nod. And it was like, yep, that was it. That, <laughs> that was what we wanted there. Um, to see that we were always really always in sync. Um, it's pretty, pretty hard to believe considering um i think how, how different we are and how different our, our backgrounds are in some ways well one thing that i find really interesting is you first hear the title of the film reparation and anybody if they do their google or pick up their handy dandy you know real printed page dictionary and look up the word you've got a, a brief definition of making amends for the for the wrong that one has done mm-hmm. what what is the prep for those that that want to find out about reparation and decide if they should go buy tickets at the film festival, which they really should do. Um, uh, how, what is reparation? What is the story behind reparation that makes this such a fitting title? Because having seen the film, I think it's a very appropriate title. Thank you. Um, for us, it's, it's really ultimately a film about friendship in a way and about, what can happen um, when the bonds between people get broken apart? Um, that that's sort of the nugget, I think, of the film. And so, reparation really speaks to that because that's what, um, at least, Jerome is after. Who's kind of the bad guy? Jerome is kind of the bad guy here. It's these two guys. You want me to just tell you the story real quick? Give, give, guys who are I'll let, I will let you tell the story in your own words. Okay, it's it's based on two guys who were, you know, Air Force security policemen in their you know late teens, early twenties, and one gets sent to prison and the other one gets sent to a psychiatric hospital with no memory of being in the Air Force whatsoever. And what happens ten years later when the one gets out of prison and comes to pay his old friend a visit? And there are some old scores maybe to settle, but we don't know what they are. because our main character, Bob, doesn't know what those are. He's tried to move on. Um, but clearly there is something traumatic that happened to him as well. And so both of these guys are after the same thing. It's just that those things collide. Both of them want to be made whole again. Both of them want balance. They want that reparation for what had gone wrong. Um, it's just that those paths collide. They don't align well, one of the great things that you do um, with your storytelling, with your character development here, is you have this theme, a duality. So that for the bulk of the film, Jerome and Bob are pretty much each one half of the other. 
mm-hmm. when you watch them and you see the duality of their personalities unfolding. And so much of that is due, I think, to your casting, which is absolutely amazing. You've got Mark Menchaca as Bob and then John Huertas. Everybody knows him. Javion Castle um, as Jerome. And this is a John we're not used to seeing. Nope. He, he embodies the former military man perfectly. That's something that we're used to seeing from John on Castle through his character. Also in some of the other roles that he's done, some early roles that he did. I think he did right at, uh, right at your door years ago. And there again. Generation Kill, too. Yeah, so we're so used to seeing that. But we're, what we're not used to seeing is that edge of hatred, that missing element to the personality, the person that isn't whole and is acting out, mm-hmm. you know, in a negative, with a negative connotation. This mm-hmm. is, it is absolutely, my eyes were bugging out of my head watching John's performance here because I haven't seen it from him. A testament to the script, a testament to you as a director. What? Thank you. Well, a testament to Matthew LaSalle, our casting director as well, um, who did an amazing job finding people. It's very hard to cast for a, a, a film that has as low a budget as ours did. And uh, who Matthew was able to bring to the table is phenomenal. And then what the actors did, I mean, John, that was a very difficult role to cast, Jerome, because he had to be charming and he had to be annoying, and he had to be menacing all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And there aren't very many actors who can do that. And um, the fact that it was also John Huertas who walked in and did that <laughs> in that first reading, I mean, we knew when he walked out the door that we were done searching for our <laughs> Jerome, but as long as we could get him to do it, <laughs> we, we found our man. And he, he absolutely led us to it. And what I loved about working with John is how hard he worked. He did all the stunts himself. He did research, weeks and weeks of research on the Air Force military police and what they wear and how they act and how they... I mean, he was on his honeymoon weeks before filming, sending PDF documents. Here's what I found, Kyle. This is what... I mean, he was all in. He's like, I'm growing my beard. I'm growing my hair. What else do you need me to do? I'm working out with a trainer so I can lift Bob up and carry him up the hillside. And, you know, it's it's really... uh, it's really a testament to how hard he works and how seriously he takes his work. Well, now... And, and, and Mark as well. Uh, Mark had a, a gargantuan um, task to play that role. And I can't get into too many details, but to, to be such an internalized character, but mm-hmm. to bring that out is incredibly challenging. And I thought Mark was just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, he is. There's a, a quietness. There's a haunting stillness that he brings to Bob, that's very pensive, very reflective, and you see the glimmer. He, he, his facial nuance is so subtle, but you see a glimmer mm-hmm. just when he might be on the edge of remembering something, mm-hmm. and and it disappears, and it just it just draws you deeper and deeper in. And the balance between John and Mark as Jerome and Bob is just. Incredible, But I have to give you a word of warning. Now, this was your first directing. Don't think every actor is going to go to the lengths that these two did for you. No. I, it, you know what? I, again, I am blessed. I don't know that I'll ever have it this good again. I can only hope that I do. But Mark, John, Virginia, even my child actors, Dale and Brody. You know, Dale, Dale Thomas, who plays Charlotte, who's never acted before at all. No training. Nothing. And it's just so natural but they they all worked so hard and i'm i'm just incredibly fortunate for for what they were all able to bring to the table and the fact that they were all willing to go as far in on it really all in on it like they like they did um i know that's that's that can be rare and i have to tell you brody is a scene stealer isn't he he's by the way (laughs) he is a scene stealing heartthrob let me tell you Oh, he's wonderful. He he just lit up the set, too. He just kept everybody smiling and laughing all the time. I mean, the things that would come out of his mouth in between takes were just so funny. And he and Mark formed such a bond. Those two, they still FaceTime, like, every week. Aww. They they formed such a friendship out of this. Um, it's been wonderful to see um, how much Brody looks up to Mark um, and how much Mark really um, is there for him, <laughs> you know? 
No, I mean that's uh, and you, that comes through on screen. You see that it is yeah. it's absolutely fabulous. Now you're wearing the hat of a producer and a director. <clears throat> the producer is the one, the money man. The director is the one that has to listen to the money man. So how did you? Uh, yeah. How did you juggle this? It was not ideal. It was not what I had had in mind. Um, but I also knew that that producer role. Um, would be the most important um, collaboration that we have on the film, and it had to be the right person. And just to be frank, I just didn't find someone who was willing to do it on this low budget who who was the right fit. And um, do I think the film could have been a little better if I'd had um, a pure producer there day in and day out? Um, Yes. Did I have a great unit production manager who handled all of the day-in and day-out budget scheduling and making sure we had everything we need? Yes, Mm -hmm. thank God. Um, So I was able to, for the most part, take that hot off. But when it came down to it, I think the hardest part for me on set was when we're, as we were almost every day, running out of time. And I knew as the producer that we simply couldn't afford to add another day of shooting on the mm-hmm. back end. We couldn't afford to go over in certain circumstances. We had child actors in their hours to adhere to. And so having to be both voices in my own head of, <laughs> do you need to, are you, don't you need to start cutting coverage here, Kyle? <laughs> and to have to be the one that says, yes, I do, to myself. <laughs> and then doubt whether that's the right decision. That, that was, I think, the hardest thing was, when push came to shove and we were barely getting through, which happened, obviously, it's a film set. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, having to, and what it really came down to, the tiebreaker in that was the editor, because I was also editing the film myself. I was just going to ask you that. Does that come in handy? Because that's kind of like, that's the yeah. Tyler Perry school of filmmaking, where he's thinking of the coverage, since he's doing so much of the editing, he's directing, he's written it, and he can second-guess himself, and and save some time and pick up, you know, some steps where he needs to. I was, I'm, 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 I was lucky I had, like I said, that was the intermediary. The, the editor, Kyle, could come out and say, no, 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 all we need is this and this and this. And, hey, hey director Kyle, those other ten shots you have in your shot list, <laughs> forget them. You have three, and this, and this sequence is going to work great. And the other thing, getting back to the actors, too, that made a big difference. Um, and I think it's it's pretty understated. It's pretty subtle in the film, but because I had actors who went all in and who were present all the time, there were a lot of things, and this is something I learned while I was shooting, and I just embraced it sort of almost in a reactive way, of just letting the camera sit and observe. But there are long two shots where the actors do all the lifting. Mm-hmm. And as an editor, I wasn't tr- creating drama in a scene. The actors were doing it. And in hindsight, for me, that was, like, I guess, a nice way to also embrace the roots of this thing and it being originally a play. But I had actors who had the chops to pull off a scene um, where we're a minute and a half on a two-shot, and we don't lose interest at all because of what the actors are doing in yeah. that scene. No, and uh, it's also a testament to your cinematographer, to Jay Silver, the, oh, visu- yeah. the visual tonal bandwidth that the two of you worked out in terms of those shots and in knowing that pacing and in selecting and blocking shots that will allow you that minute and a half to just sit. Yeah, yeah. We worked hard at that, and Jay, Jay was a, a warrior, and he was really one of the MVPs in the movie. And, and, and by the way, a phenomenal guy to work with, just because his temperament, he was just never flustered by anything. As hard as filming got and as quickly as we had to work sometimes, he could laugh it off. He kept perspective for all of us, I think. He really shouldered a lot of perspective for us all in the film in more ways than one. Obviously, the visual perspective in the film, but also just um, our sanity on set. Um, mm-hmm. He was a great presence in so many ways. But his his eye, we connected pretty quickly in the first three or four days of filming, we were in a groove then, he and I, um, where we really could start to cook the gas. And he knew what I was going for. I knew I knew where he wanted to push me as well. And, uh, and I could start to shape my shot list around that as well. Well, now, 
as you as you get ready for the big world premiere and as you sit here and we're talking right now what is the greatest th- what did you learn about yourself in the process of making reparation uh, I I learned how how much I have in the tank <laughs> really about two and a half months of only three hours of sleep a night and the other 21 days, 21 hours a day was just absolute full focus, full-time work, 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 work. I didn't know I had that in me. Um, so it's it's been great since then to, to be able to, in other stressful situations or other times where there are tough deadlines or things have to be happening quickly, like, oh, yeah, I got this. <laughs> because if I survived last, um, I, okay, I can... I can do it, but I think I learned a lot about what I still have to learn mm-hmm. um, and how far I have to go as a director to get to where where I want to be and what I think maybe my potential can be. Well, this is an this is an awfully good start, Kyle. You have you've Thanks. turned out an amazing film. I can see why it's in Newport. Um, I know. So it's the 25th is a premiere. I know there's a second showing on the 30th of April. Correct. And in between, John's going to be here with me next week. He's calling in. Yeah. I'm very excited so I can get all the skinny from John on your your knees knocking and everything at the premiere on the 25th. (laughs) And uh, I'll see what kind of helpful hints he has for you as a director. I'm sure he has a few. (laughs) Again. I'll appreciate that. So. so you will visit us again, I, I trust, I hope? I hope so. Anytime. You just call me up. Hey, you know, I'll, I will bug uh, Annie for for a number okay. and email and definitely be in touch because I know you have other things on your plate. And uh, I want to talk more with you after you've had your world premiere and as you embark on the uh, the fest circuit. Thank you. Sure. Anytime. Kyle. Anytime. Kyle, thank you so, so much. And I will talk to you again soon and have fun. Above all else on the 25th, have fun. Thank you. I will. I will. I appreciate it, Debbie. Nice to meet you. Thanks, Kyle. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Kyle Hamm, writer, director, producer, editor of Reparation at the Newport Beach Film Festival, world premiere, April 25th. Tickets are available see this film it is an amazing amazing film and now now here he is did you get tired doing laundry jake oh who me no i uh, i'm still doing laundry you're still doing laundry i saw i, I you know I'm, I'm talking to kyle and i see the, and i see the phone ringing at 11:25, and i'm like he's either bored with laundry or he's had too much coffee how about a little bit of both? I just had a quad espresso. Oh, that's the only uh, way to get them. Yeah, I mean, I may explode into a ball of glitter at any time. But you're not here, and I don't have to clean it up, so that's okay. <laughs> exactly. Chris yeah. Isaacson loves it whenever I explode into balls of glitters on stage, because in that way we don't have to have the pyro Ooh. so much. See? We don't have to have any of the stuff. We can just explode ourselves. <laughs> See? And for those of you just joining us, or joining us specifically for this... I have the incredible Jake Simpson on the line, singer, songwriter, Star Search winner, and soon to be gracing the stages of the Saban for Stage L.A. Did I get it all in there? Man, I think that's I think that's it. That you know, uh, there was probably something about a uh, guy who does laundry, dude who cleans the bathroom. Okay, wait all a minute. Wait, too, but we don't have to mention that. Well, now wait a minute here. You know. I, I, I asked I said you could do my laundry. You didn't volunteer. <laughs> I think I've done about six loads this morning so far. I'm, see, I'm I'm taking off to Palm Springs in a little while, and I've got to get everything done because I'm going for a week to Palm Springs and then on tour with uh, a group called Impact. And so I won't be back until next Monday. So I've got to do all my laundry today because, of course, I procrastinate until the very last minute possible. And that's why I love you because I procrastinate until the last minute possible too. <laughs> and then you only wash, with, and then you only wash what you're really going to take. Or if you're going somewhere, there's a washer and dryer. You just take the dirty laundry and you do it there. I can't tell you how many times I've flown back to Missouri 
in the heat of the day with a, an entire suitcase of nothing but dirty laundry for you know for my mom to wash for me whenever I get back. Oh, I used to I used to do that for for decades when I would go back to Philly. And but the, oh, great, yeah. the great thing is, my dad would tell me, "Well, don't spend quarters on a washing machine. Come here, and it's not going to cost anything." So, okay. wow, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> so that's all well and good, and that's exactly what I would do. Would always, and you know, that's one of the sad things now about you know, with both with both my parents gone, and I'm not back in Philly. You know, I now have to actually do my own laundry, laundry and. You know, I can't just do it in the middle of the night and leave it sitting there until I feel like getting it out of the dryer, you know. Uh, these, these. Oh, man, I do that so often. I swore I would never live in an apartment complex ever again where I did not have my own wash and dryer in my place. And I don't know how I survived for so many years without it because I'll leave, you know, a nice clean load of towels in the dryer for a week. And I'll be like, oh, I'll get those out eventually. I'll get those out eventually. Yeah. Well, you know, sadly, I own my own condo, but the complex doesn't allow us to have our own washer and dryer in our units. Oh, that is just crazy. So, needless to say, you know how... That's a petition waiting to be signed. You know, I think it's because the pipe, I mean, as many breaking pipes as we have in the complex as it is, I think the stress (laughs) of washers and dryers in everybody's units... Would not be it would not be a pretty sight. Something just tells too much me. demand on the infrastructure. I'll tell you. Well, I know it about like Southern California water. <laughs> we're trying to say, look, and you know, just think, California Governor Brown should should thank you and I because we are really helping water conservation in our limited laundry doing. Absolutely. Procrastinating until the last day, stuffing more clothes into one load of laundry just to get it done saves water. Now, you know, if Carol Cook is listening to us right now, you and I are both going to hear from her on May 9th. She's probably going to... She's probably- I'm so ready to hear from Miss Carol. I love that woman. She is so much fun. I've had so, so many good times with her after shows that we've done. And, you know, everybody goes out and has dinner. And, of course, you know Carol. She's telling her jokes. Mm-hmm. Best jokes around. And she's got 90-some years of them. I know it's so cool. We should. I, I miss being around people like that all the time. I I grew up with a lot of grandparents in my life mm-hmm. and uh, a great grandma who was. I mean, we used to sit in her office. She she ran our family auto parts store, and that's where I grew up in. And um, she would sit down and she would tell me stories about her first car, which was a Model T Ford. Oh and my! Of course, you know, me being the. the I love antique cars. Mm-hmm. I always have. My first, my first car was a '67 Camaro, and I, uh, I still have it. And um, you know, I bought it. My, my dad bought it for me when I was 12 for $200, and I fixed, spent the next four or five years fixing it up. And uh, I'd sit down with Grandma, and she'd just start telling me stories. I just loved that so much. <laughs> and I miss it. I know, I know. But that's why you and I look forward to May 9th and stage because now we get to hear these great stories from Carol, great stories from Sally Calhoun. <laughs> you know, I gotta love that. You know, great stories from Bobby Morse. Um, I, all of these people. I think Patricia Morrison is going to be there again this year too. Oh wow, she did last year too. I think. Yeah, right? Patricia did last year as well. I mean, and she is. Like my whole TCM crowd, I mean, we love Patricia Morrison. I mean, you know, it's, you know, for me, this is this is great because I get the crossover. Like I just got to interview Bobby Morse at uh, TCM Film Festival, and now great. I just got to interview him again for stage, and now I get to see him again. So, you know. You're going to be best friends before it's over. Well, you know, we already are. Come on, you guys, you all have my home number now. So, you know, you know, I, you know, you guys, I love it. You guys can reach me 24-7, you know. <laughs> but, oh, I love it. Oh, connectivity. I love it. I know. But let's, let's do our official important stuff here about stage. Absolutely. And... You know, we because Carol has she's talked, and you know, I have a great exclusive with Sally Kellerman that it's floating all over the internet right now, and a couple others. Oh wow! That are that are popping out. Yeah, it's on the website. Go look at it. Um, go read it. Um, but why? Why stage? Because 
stage, you, a lot of people think of stage LA in this 31 years with this benefit and names like Carol Cook or Donna McKechnie, um, real stage legends, but it's so much more than that. And you are really part of the new generation that is infusing well, you, you, blood for, into it. <laughs> well, for me, it's something that is, it's, it's really kind of personal. Um, one of my closest friends, basically a family member, uh, has had HIV for a couple of years. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's such a different world than it was 30 years ago when stage started. My, my friend now has to take one pill a day to fight his very, very low count of HIV. And to me, the reason that he can do that, the reason that he is very, very healthy is because, you know, of fundraisers like this. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's really important to me personally. Um, you know, they've raised, oh, I, I can't remember how much money. I raised, know, I know the numbers. the hundreds of thousands. No, I, right? oh, I know the numbers. Do you, you want to, do. do you, do you want to know the number? Yes, I do. It is right around $7 million over 31 years. <gasps> Last year alone was, I think, $275,000. And, all of the money the stage raises, it goes to AIDS Project LA, and it's for boots on the ground work, which so many, you know, everybody thinks when they're donating to causes or buying tickets for things, it's going to research. No, this is for boots on the ground. And just from last year alone, the, the money that was raised provided nearly 140,000 bags of groceries to patients and their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, Housing for 650 people who were homeless, 58,000 hours of in-home health care, which is so important when people are ill. Well, and you know, that's, that's how so many of us, that's, I, all of my grandparents ended their lives in hospice care. And, you know, if there wasn't some subsidiary business going on there, there's no way that they could have afforded that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't come from a rich family. And, and it, was, it was because of things like this that, that helped people like that. That's just, I think it's wonderful. I think it's, I think it's one of the most important fundraisers that we've got in L.A., especially uh, not to mention that it's unbelievable fun to do the show. That would be plenty in and of itself. Oh, the, um, the, the entertainment factor. And then you've also got the silent auction. Have you not offered yourself up for a silent auction dinner to people or something? Well, I have. Uh, I probably shouldn't say that term, but yes, I've auctioned myself off for shows in the past. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I, I haven't done this one. I think I think you should. Cheyenne Jackson auctioned himself off for a lunch with somebody last year. I wonder how much he got because I'd have to get more. I, uh, you know, and it, they were it was open bidding on lunch with him um, during an intermission, and I'm trying to think what it was, but I I think it was at least five hundred dollars. Okay, well I have to at least at least five twenty five five fifty. I'll be okay with that. I'd rather get a thousand, but I I realize my waistline's not what it used to be, so <laughs> I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Well, one thing that is what it used to be, and I think has even gotten better over the years, is your voice and your vocal stylings. Which... <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> well, you're I what... just love it, man. <laughs> I can. Be... I just enjoy singing. You know. I, I know you do, and for anybody that hasn't in the LA area, if you went to the Grove for what over the course of a year, two years? Oh, we were there for almost two, two years. Two years, yeah. performing at the Grove, which is the first time I heard you sing was at the Grove. And then you did a whole rock review. I mean, you sing everything. You can do everything from a traditional 60s, 70s rock to Sondheim to Cole Porter, the whole American songbook. <laughs> And uh, well, you know that's the stuff that I grew up listening to, especially that sixties and seventies music. I mean, that was my mom and dad were were pretty darn hip. And uh, I mean, my mom still to this day is way hipper than I am. She'll still listen to like ACDC, and it just and I'm the one who you know puts my hand over my ears and goes, "It's too loud, <laughs> too loud." <laughs> uh, that's that's my parents. <laughs> Well, and you already told me what you're going to be singing at stage, and because the theme is to Broadway from Hollywood with love, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't think of anything better than you doing a James Bond number. 
I am so in the middle of that stuff for the last couple of years. All of a sudden, you know, when when when, pe- when dudes started wearing like white shirts and skinny ties again, I kind of went, "This is cool. I can do this." Let's see. Uh, oh yeah, James Bond, 1962, 1963, 1964. Those are the best years for that stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, ironically, I'm doing a much later song. But you know how James Bond themes sort of have this. Well, in, in music, you, you, we just call it like an ascending fifth. And there's this da 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 You know, mm-hmm. it, it, everything sounds like that. And uh, that's a common theme in all of the music that was done for those, for those movies. And uh, so I'm doing a song called Tomorrow Never Dies from, of course, the movie Tomorrow Never Dies. And, and uh, I, I, I can't wait. We had a rehearsal. Uh, we had the first rehearsal for it a couple of months ago, and then I just went over to David Galligan's place. And we had another rehearsal rehearsal for it uh, just a couple of days ago. So I am so stoked. <laughs> I cannot wait to do the song. I've never sang it publicly. I've never sang it privately. I, I have yet to sing it in my house. Okay. Um, do but, I, but I, uh, I just love it. Now, I'm going to be sitting in the second row, dead center, which is where my ticket is. Uh, we call that the spitting row. That's, yeah, that or I could throw things at you if you're really bad. Well, if I'm putting on too much, I'm thinking about maybe doing like a fossy thing with like a hat. Uh, well, but probably not because I'm not really a dancer. But see, uh, I but, think you know, you if I'm I, putting on too much, you have to let me know. Look, you and I talked about that before, and I think that would be so cool with a spot, you know, face in the half light, you know, kind of yes. like James Bond, that air of mystery. Right, the silhouette from the back. Seriously, oh, seriously, so cool. David Galligan really needs to talk to me about how to stage some numbers. <laughs> you know, what? I will, I will make, uh, I will make it known to him how you think that that should be directed because uh, I think we're both all about it. And I think when you get two people that are all about something, it has to be right. You know, and coming at it from, you know, also as a film critic, and you know, I, I always look at things with a very visual. You know, how's it going to yeah. look? What's that emotional, you know, oomph going to be? Right. And, you know, you really want to give oomph. But, you know, talking about emotional oomph, your manager, Chris Isaacson, was kind enough. He sent over a couple musical selections of yours so that people can... Oh, no. Yes, he did. <laughs> he Well, I did. hope he sent good stuff. I, I think I know what he sent, and it okay. should be pretty decent. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to let you pick right now which one, either I See You or Mo Betta. Oh, very interesting. That's a new combination for Chris. We haven't done that one yet. Uh, let's do Mo Betta first, because this is Mo Betta. <laughs> because it's Mo Betta, of course. You know, I was my sound engineer, Brian, when I pronounced it earlier today. He's like, you have some ghetto in you. I said, girl from Philly, you know, you know these things. What can I do? If it wasn't for the ghetto, I wouldn't have nothing at all. Well, that's why you're Jake Simpson's soul. <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's. Oh, let, so will you hush up for a minute? And we're going to we're going to listen to you sing Mo Betta so people know what they're going to buy a ticket for. <laughs> Woo-hoo. So don't go anywhere. All right. I'm right here. Too. We're here together, just me and you. I know you want me, cause I want you to. Cause we got nothing more better to do. In the beginning, when times were hard. Nothing. I'll keep creeping 
so grown up It just so happens that I can't catch my love I guess I'll go home tonight and cry That's too sweet, but wait I've got your shoulder to cry on And that can't be beat Because I'm so happy You're happy too Just me and you Well, I have to say, that is definitely Mo' Better. <laughs> Thank you. Do you like that song? I love... I hope it ain't too funky. I haven't heard you do that one before. I like that one. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I wrote that. I wrote that about the time uh, I wrote that here in LA. But I wrote it about my my days living in New York. Mm-hmm. And but, uh, but and now, what's Mo Betta? What's Mo Being in New York or being in LA, or being in Missouri? Even, or being I in Missouri. I hope you don't have any New York listeners or Missouri listeners. I bet you do. But I'm going to say LA because it's my favorite place. <laughs> I love it out here. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, I'm out here. Kind of, so, you know. Well, of course, and that is reason alone. Oh, oh, you are, <laughs> you are a smooth-talking devil. You really Oh, uh, well, you know, I yeah. try. You know, it's, in this business, it's, it's, it's about 75% pretending to be charming and about mm-hmm. 25% pretending to sing. You know, i gotta, I got to ask you, Jake, when you're doing performances, you know, like stage, or I know you just did Catalina Grill, you did an opening thing for who, Molly Ringwald or something the other week. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's um, one of my 80s favorites, yeah. What what kind of preparation goes into, uh, you know, a one-time performance like that? It's not like you're doing a, a regular weekly thing, a monthly thing like you were doing at the Grove or when you're out on tour. But, you know, for a one-shot deal that is so specifically designed and tailored, what does that inv- entail for you in preparing? You know, it, for me, it depends on... There'll be some times where I'm doing a whole new song, like, like this year, a song I've never, ever done before. And obviously, you know, you, you have to memorize the lyrics, and you got to really know the tune. See, I, I'm a dummy, because I have to know I have to know the song frontwards, backwards, and sideways, and really have it in my body so that I can concentrate on, like, just having a good time and, and ha- having fun with the audience. Um, and so... These are a little bit more preppy for me. Mm-hmm. I have to prep a little bit more. But, um, you know, usually I'm doing a song that's something I've done a thousand times. So it's like there is the only prep work is the rehearsal when you get there for the show. Mm-hmm. There's the prep, uh, you know, Galligan will say, hey, uh, stand there, come out right here, there, find your light. Okay, we're done. <laughs> that's usually about it. But, uh, uh, you know, it's it's not... It's not nearly as much work as it is as much fun. Mm-hmm. Now, how is it working with Brad Ellis as the musical director this year? Yeah, that's going to be great. Now, uh, what does that what does that entail for people that don't know? Because a lot of this is the same kind of preparation that goes in if you're going to go into the studio to record a track for a film or you know or for an yeah. album. Or, so, a lot of this it's all crossover amongst the the various media. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you one thing about him. He he brings stuff out of me, Brad does, that I don't know I can do. And that's that's really what every good, whether you call it an arranger, a music director, an MD, you know, whatever you call it, it he, he brings things out of me that I don't realize I can, I can do. And, uh, boy, I, I, I have so much fun because I know that I don't have to deal with anything. It's like, just know your part, Jake. Go sing. Let the magic happen. Because, of course, this is a full band. So mm-hmm. Brad has to go, and he has to do all of the uh, all the arrangements and all the charts and everything, copy all that stuff out. He's got way more prep work than I do. I just have to show up and, you know, holler something out of my mouth. That's It's the easy part. Well, if it's that easy, then you should be doing this every day of the week. Well, you know, there have been times in life where I have. I used <laughs> to do uh, six nights a week. When I was in college, uh, like during the summer times, I would go and I would I would just kill myself for, for three months out of the year during the summertime. I grew up in a sort of a, around a little resort community in the Ozarks, and um, our band would work six nights a week. 
And if we could pick up the seventh, we would find it somewhere and do it. Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's how I made my survival money throughout uh, most of my college. And that was five and a half years mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of four. Well, that's because it takes five and a half to make enough money to get yourself through. Gosh, it's so true. And, I mean, even when I was there, it was much cheaper than it is now. But I never thought I'd hear myself say that. But uh, it, was, it was something that I really enjoyed because everybody else was, you know, they were working at McDonald's, my friends were, or they were working at the mall or something like that. Mm-hmm. And here I was, toting around an old Fender Rhodes in the back of my car and playing gigs for money, getting paid more <laughs> than they did. How cool was that? Well, trust me, I, I was the one going to different gigs watching people when I was in college. So, you know, the groupie. <laughs> it's very, it's very, very, very cool. No, we'll talk about that one day. Uh, just, <laughs> not on the radio. <laughs> oh, it's one of those conversations. Uh, I'm with you. I'm good. I know you are. I know you are. I'll be there. <laughs> I, yeah, I know that. I know that, too. I know. So, oh. now... As we're wa- getting ready to wind the show down here in four minutes. I mean, you, you, you have the four minutes, of course, my dear. But um, so if you had to tell people why, why should they, because there are still tickets available for stage, why You're should... You're kidding. We're not sold out yet? No. No. We should be sold out by now. I know. Okay, what can I do to help? I don't know. What is a reason? What is a reason for... Why should people buy the ticket? Tickets start, you've got some up in about $90 up to $250. Well, has anyone gone to see a Broadway show lately? Do you know how much those tickets are? I do not. I <laughs> haven't been. This is cheap. Is it? This is cheap. Well, here's the thing. Where else are you going to see legends like Carol Cook? I mean, she's. I go right there. That's where I go. And James Darren? I, I, James Darren is performing. Uh, Loretta Devine, I'm, Nancy Dussault, David Engel, Jason Gray, Gregory Harrison, Sally Kellerman, John Mayer. I think Melissa Manchester is still performing. Of course, Patricia wow. Morrison, Bobby Morse, you, Sally Struthers, Mary Jo Catlett. Wow. I'll tell you what, I, I, uh, I can't imagine finding this kind of talent on one stage anywhere else in L.A. or pretty much anywhere else anywhere. I would go to, I, I, I saw Sally Kellerman's rehearsal. Okay, and I, I listened outside for about 10 minutes before I walked in. She has, still has, one of the sexiest sounding voices mm-hmm. I, can, I can even fathom. Oh, I love her voice. I think of Hidden Valley Ranch every time I hear her voice. I know, I know. <laughs> she makes you want to buy it even if you don't like ranch dressing. I don't like ranch dressing, but she makes me like it. I know. Same here. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Now I know so she's. I mean, no. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just, I just, I just can't imagine fighting all these people on one stage and paying less than the cost of a, of a Broadway show ticket. I mean, th- there's everything. There's everything. There's there's rock. There's movies. There's theater. There's everything in the show. There are absolutely. There absolutely is. And I pro- and I promise to keep my clothes on. That's the best reason I can think of right there. I promise to keep my clothes on. Oh, I think you've broken the hearts of every woman out there right now. So uh, <laughs> you, you got to do some give and take here, Jake. You know, you know. Uh, okay. Anybody can buy tickets at www.stagela.com. Now, where where else are you going to be performing short of stage if people want to hear you? I'm not doing anything in town. Uh, I don't have anything out here scheduled coming up in the next two months so this is this is really the only time that that i can be seen on a stage especially with lights and a nice sound system and everything i might show up at someone's birthday party you know but that's about it well then that is a reason that is a darn good reason (laughs) now i know i have gotten my i've gotten my cue signal that i must sign off we must say goodbye now and you're leaving for palm springs when in about five minutes Oh, my God. Well, you have a lovely time in Palm Springs. I will see you on May 9th at Stage right. LA at the Saban. That's it. We're done. Be back next week. <laughs>